Good morning. My name is Lynette Perrett. I look after the, oh, lead the library ministry here, and I'm going to do the Bible reading this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some up at the back, over to my right, uh, near the entry doors to the auditorium. And please feel free to take one and uh, to keep it. And uh, yeah, that's a, a gift from us to you. So the Bible reading this morning is Luke chapter 10, and it's verses 38 to 42. That's Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. And if you're not sure where it is, it's in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Good morning again, church. Um, if you are new or newish to our church, again, uh, we encourage you to join our um, special morning tea later on after the service. Uh, my name is RJ, and I'll be joining you later uh, if, you, um, yeah, if you join us later on. Um, please keep your Bibles open to that passage, and allow me to start with a word of prayer. Father, again, we ask that you will speak to us now through your word, and I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to transform us and renew us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, earlier uh, in our marriage, you'll be able to tell if my wife and I are having a disagreement if our house is clean. When we're not happy with each other, we, we clean. We start vacuuming and tidying up and washing up clothes. I think it was a way for us to make the other person feel guilty by outperforming the other person with chores. So when people walk into our house, they see a nice, clean, and organized home. They think it's a sign of a good and healthy marriage, but in fact, the opposite is true. The cleaner it was, the angrier we were at each other. Or the tidier it was, the bigger the problem was. A clean house was an indication that there is something wrong. And just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean that everything is going well in the inside. Or just because it looks clean and organized, it doesn't mean that everything is going well. And I'm using this to illustrate what's happening in our story today, that often busyness in the Christian faith is not always an indication of spiritual maturity. Or busyness with church activity doesn't automatically mean a healthy and thriving church. Uh, just because we have so much ministry and program running, it doesn't mean that we are doing well as a church. Because you can do a lot of things good from the outside, but deep inside your heart can remain hard and bitter. Now, this passage is unique in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Gospel. And at first glance, it looks like a random story in between Jesus' teaching on the parables, if you look in your Bibles, and Jesus' teaching on prayer. So do you see that? It's between the story of the Good Samaritan and his teaching on the Lord's Prayer. So it looks quite random, but I think the gospel writer Luke specifically places it here because there is a connection between discipleship and prayer. 
He's saying that what we do outside should be driven by who we are inside. That our, our external ministry is empowered by our internal relationship with God. And so this story somehow connects the two together. It's teaching us that we need to have the right attitude when we approach God in prayer before we serve God in ministry. And so Luke gives us a contrast of two sisters, one who is too busy and the other who seeks intimacy. We have Martha, busy Martha. She's up and about running around serving. Mary, on the other hand, she's sitting, listening. And it seems like the story is asking us which one is the right attitude to have. And more importantly, I think it's asking which one are we? How do we know that we have the right attitude when we approach God in prayer? How do we know that we have the right understanding of how we approach God? Well, I believe this passage is teaching us the kind of attitude that we need to have. And to answer the question, we need to look at the three main people in the story and the three things that, that it's teaching us. And the three things are Mary, sorry, Martha's problem. She is quite distracted and disgruntled. Mary's priority, and we can see she's sitting and listening. And Jesus' prayer when he starts with our Father. All right? Martha's problem, Mary's priority, and Jesus' prayer. Let's start. Martha's problem. Uh, at the end of chapter 9, we're told that Jesus and his, and his disciples started their journey to Jerusalem. Again, we've heard that from our, uh, our series on Luke. And here in chapter, chapter 10, verse 38, it says that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. And so Martha opened her home to Jesus. Jesus and his disciples were invited by Martha to her home, possibly to stay and eat and rest. Uh, Martha, as we know, is the sister of Mary and Lazarus who Jesus brought back to life. And we can, I think, speculate that they all live together. But the writer refers to Martha as the one who opens up their home because she is probably the eldest of the siblings and often the one in charge of the day-to-day -day management of the house. And so in verse 40, we read, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister had, has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I think we see the problem there. Now, it doesn't show in the NIV, but the gospel writer, Luke, he uses the word serve twice here. It says that Martha was distracted by all the serving. And the other one, it says that, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve by myself? The word serve in the Greek is the word diakoneo. It's the Greek word used for service and ministry. It's where we get the Greek, uh, the word deacon from. And it's saying that she is distracted by all the ministry, by all the serving that had to be done. So the story is pointing out that she was too busy doing things that she has neglected just being with Jesus. She was too busy trying to serve Jesus that she has ignored Jesus. Because Martha's primary means to please Jesus was to serve him. She invites him in. She cooks, cleans, and serves. At the very core of Martha's effort to please him is activity and busyness and action. She's probably thinking, I have to make sure, sure the food is perfect for the Lord. I have to make sure the house is clean. I have to make sure Jesus is enjoying himself and appreciates my hospitality. Now, I can understand that because I'm a very practical person. She and I, I think our love language is acts of service. So I understand we, we please people by serving. 
And as followers of Jesus, we are called to serve. Serving is not the problem here. And I think we'll talk about it more later on. But here's the problem. Listen to the tone of Martha's response. It seems like she's annoyed. Lord, don't you care that my sister has, had left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It seems like she's pretentiously accusing Jesus of being uncaring towards her. Don't you care? There's no sense of joy in her words. She's unhappy. She's not doing things out of grat gratitude and adoration, but out of duty and burden. And then she elevates herself, saying, I'm doing all the work. She compares herself to others, not doing anything. And worse, she has the arrogance to tell Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me. She commands Jesus what to do. In her service for Jesus, for Jesus she feels she has the right to command Jesus. What's this, telling, what's this telling us? Well, here's three problems or warning for us. Firstly, our busyness can lead to pride. It means that just because you are so busy with ministry doesn't mean that you are actually glorifying Christ, nor is it an indication of your maturity and intimacy with the Lord. Because often we highlight church activity as an indication of someone's maturity, right? We think the more people do in church, the more mature they are. But here's a clear example that that is not always the case. Just because you're so busy with ministry, it doesn't mean that you are growing in maturity. Just because you are at church all the time attending meetings and serving people, it doesn't mean you are glorifying God. Because in the story, Jesus rebukes Martha. In fact, we can actually enjoy busyness because we, it makes us feel important. We think that everything is going to fall apart if, we don't, if, if we're not there, if we don't do our part for the kingdom. We think that God's kingdom will be suspended if we go on a holiday or if we leave. But guess what? You and I are expendable in God's economy. I am dispensable even as a pastor in God's plan. If you and I drop dead tonight, God's plan and purpose for his kingdom will still carry on. But God wants us to find joy in taking part in of building his kingdom. But don't think for a second that you and I are the savior of this plan. Busyness can lead to pride and self-worth. But secondly, our busyness can turn into self-righteousness, that Martha feels she is better than Mary. And likewise, we can start complaining of those who are not doing as much for the kingdom as we are. Martha said, I'm doing all the work. Look at my sister, she's just sitting around. See, today's complaint can sound like people are not volunteering like me. It's only me who's willing to do it all. And that's why the church is not growing because of all these lazy people around me. If only everyone is like me. Have you ever heard saying yourself those words? Do you get annoyed with others not doing anything? Do you exalt yourself because of your service for Jesus and get, get annoyed at those who don't serve as much as you? See, once you elevate your service, you will start to look down at people, which leads to losing respect and love for others. You become a complaining, cranky person, but you might, you might be serving, but not out of love. And third, our busyness can lead to bossiness. See what Martha is doing in the end? She's telling Jesus what to do. Tell my sister to help me. That once we do so much, 
with the wrong attitude, we will start to think that God owes us. You will start to think, I've been serving God for so long and so hard. Now it's time for God to do something for me. We think we deserve to be paid back. That our relationship with the Lord becomes transactional. We command him to do and how to run things because he owes us. So this is the warning. The danger of performance-driven Christian life. That we are distracted, stressed, worried about the things that needs to be done. And in the end, it doesn't make us a better follower. Instead, it makes us an arrogant, disgruntled Christian. Now, I'm not saying that we, should be, that we shouldn't be doing anything at all. Because remember, just two weeks ago, looking at the parable of the 10 minus, I said, we said that we are to invest in God's kingdom, to be busy with the right things. Even the, the parable before us, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus commands his disciples to go, go and love your neighbor. We are to go and make disciples, to invest in the heavenly kingdom. But see, we can swing the pendulum too much thinking that service and ministry and activity is what the Christian life is all about. And so it leads to our pride and our self-righteousness. The issue here is not whether we need to be serving. We all need to be serving. We are to serve Jesus. We are called to, to serve and, be emp and we're empowered for his service. The issue here is not ministry. The issue is the priority, the very source of why we're doing things. The things that we need to do in ministry, things for the church, things for God's people, for the kingdom, they are vitally important and they, and they need to be done. The issue is not the importance of ministry, but the issue is the reason of doing ministry and the priority of our relationship with God. Because even for myself, I can tell you, that as, a, as a pastor, I can get distracted with all the things that needs to be done. I can, I can often neglect the very reason and motivation of why I'm doing things. There are meeting, meet, meetings to attend, people to visit, phone calls to make, Bible studies to lead, sermons to preach, and the list just goes on. That, and that all can be done without passion for Christ. I can write a, a sermon easily. It takes me about 16 hours to write a sermon, but out of those 16 hours, it can be easily done without the right heart for ministry. That we are called to, to learn how to prioritize cultivating intimacy with Jesus before filling ourselves with the ministry for Jesus. That's the whole point here. The issue is not ministry, but our priority, our source of power. Do you have that? Do you prioritize your time with Jesus in order to empower your service for him? Do you enjoy him more than you enjoy doing things for him? Because relationships grow not just by doing stuff or giving stuff to someone, not just by serving. That's a big part of it, yes. If you say to your wife, I love you, I've proven it because I've worked so hard day and night just so that you can buy stuff, we know it's not enough. If you say to your kids, I've sacrificed so late, working so late, that's why you hardly see me, so that you can go to the best school and so that I can buy you more things, we know that's not enough. They need you. They need your presence. They want to know you as a person and they want you to know them. So often we have to prioritize being before doing. And here Mary 
becomes an example for us. So let's look at our second point, Mary's priority. That's very interesting that Martha says a lot of things in the story, but Mary doesn't say anything at all, but we see Jesus defending her. She doesn't have to defend herself, right? But first notice that Mary was not exactly being inconsiderate or lazy because we know she was serving or helping out earlier. She was serving like Martha because Martha said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? It didn't say that she wasn't serving. It says that she was serving and she knocked off early and left Martha by herself, meaning she knew when to stop working. She knows how to say no to the lesser things. I think we kind of all know that. Like we, we all know that we, the way we prioritize things in our life is by saying no to less important things. To be able to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else, right? If you, it means saying no to some ministry if you're already doing so much. It means that you're saying no to a promotion if it means longer hours and late nights and being away from family. It means saying no to Netflix and turning off the TV if it means that's what you need to do in order to be part of a small group. It means saying no to your phone in order to spend time with God. There's always a give and take. It's learning how to say no so that we can, yes, so we can say yes to more important things. That was surely the case between the two sisters. And I think you can just feel the tension between the two. That Martha would say, hey, Mary, we still need to make dessert. Can you please come make sure the toilet is clean? Can you check that there's enough drinks for everyone? And Mary's response will be, hey, Martha, relax. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Just leave that all behind. Come, we're going to miss out on what Jesus, what Jesus has to say. No, 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 Mary. Look, we still have to do so much things. You can't take a break now. No, Martha. I don't want to miss out. I'm going to sit down next to the rabbi. So she knew when to stop working because her priority is not to do things for Jesus. Her priority is to be with Jesus. It's to sit, uh, to sit at his feet, to be in his presence, to hear his words. So verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what Jesus said. To sit at someone's feet is symbolic that they are the rabbi's disciple, that you're a close follower. And we know that women at that time were not meant to be disciples. But here we see Mary taking the courage to break the social norm. She doesn't care what others think. She's got the front seat row. And, and, and this is why Martha basically tells Jesus, send Mary back to what she needs to do. But verse 41, Martha, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. But few things are needed or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus is basically saying, Martha, Martha, that's exactly, this is exactly where I want Mary to be. Nothing else is more important than being with me. I am the greatest treasure. My words give life. And to miss out being with me is to miss out on everything else. See, Mary knew that this is the main point, that the best thing about being a follower of Jesus is to be with Jesus. That Christianity is about getting Jesus. Christianity is about being reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. It means having a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus. That's the best thing. And that's why we have Psalms like this. Psalm 73 verse 25. 25, who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire 
besides you. You are the best thing, O Lord. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Christianity is not just about getting something from God. It's not even about doing something for God. Christianity is primarily about being with God to see his glory through Jesus Christ. And this is why the gospel, the good news is Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can get back to God. That's the good news. Not just eternal life, but eternal life in him. Not just joy and security and significance, but joy, security, and significance being with him. That your greatest reward, your highest treasure is Christ himself. Do not be a Christian if all you want is, is some sort of a prize. Jesus is your prize. The good news is that he will complete you. He will satisfy your innermost desire. He will bring the greatest joy in your life. He will give you the greatest assurance that you've been longing for. He will give you the very pur purpose that you've been missing out on because he will give you himself. John Piper in his book, uh, um, an American pastor, in his book, God is the Gospel, he says this. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The Gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. What makes the good news such good news is that you receive God. The best thing about being heaven is that you get God up close and personal. And Mary knew that. And that's why she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary is understanding the gospel right there. She was experiencing heaven, seeing Jesus face to face. Are you after Jesus? Are you genuinely after God or just after what he can give? To do ministry without real desire and passion of Christ, it becomes drudgery. It becomes a duty. Some, some of you might be serving for years and you're starting to hate what you're doing. Perhaps you're looking around and saying, how about this person? They're not doing anything. You're looking at yourself and saying, I'm doing most of the work. Perhaps you're right. I'm not discounting that. Maybe you're doing more than others. But the problem might also be that you're starting to take your heart out of Jesus, that your heart is not in him. Well, how do we fix that? By looking at the gospel again, by understanding, and by understanding our standing before God. Let's look at Jesus' prayer. And we're going to look at this more uh, in the next couple of weeks. Because uh, you're probably wondering, what has this got to do with prayer? Well, I told you I'll relate it back to prayer. Again, notice that right after this story, Jesus tells his disciples how to pray. And again, it's unique to the Gospel of Luke. And I believe Luke is connecting our intimacy with Jesus as the very foundation of our prayer. That prayer, we said, is about communing with God. Prayer is the time we spend with our Lord. And so the gospel writer, Luke, I believe, places this story between a lesson on discipleship, the Good Samaritan, what it means to be a follower, and a lesson on prayer of how we address God. Because it's pointing out the connection between doing things for God and our relationship with God. That the gospel tells us 
that through faith in Jesus, we have been forgiven and we have this relationship with God and his son. And so now we can be close to him. And this is the very basis of our prayer. See, Jesus' prayer, he says that when you pray, say, Father. Sorry, we didn't read it, but if you go to chapter 11, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Now, again, we're going to explore this more next week, uh, what this intimacy means. But for now, it's telling us that prayer begins with this personal relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, when you pray, address God as Father. When you approach God, you don't say, listen to me, because look at, the, look at all of the things that I have done for you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you approach God, say, Father. Because it means you, you come not because of what you have done, but simply of who you are. That you are a child. If you say, look at all the things I've done, right? Then, then what you're doing, you're becoming like a Martha. You're approaching God like an employer. You don't understand what, what, what Christianity is all about. That it's about being with God. Christianity tells you that you can approach God like a child. You can feel safe. You can feel secure in his presence. You can enjoy his presence. And so the primary goal of prayer is not to get something. The primary goal of prayer is to know someone. What makes prayer easy and enjoyable and gratifying is because we are able to be with God. And that's what we have to remember when we pray. It's a privilege to be before God. Henry Newman, a Catholic priest, he calls prayer wasting time with God. He says this. He says, if we think about prayer in terms of its usefulness to us, what prayer will do for us, what spiritual benefits we will gain, what insights we will gain, what divine presence we may feel, God cannot easily speak to us. But if we can detach ourselves from the idea of usefulness of prayer and the results of prayer, we become free to waste a precious hour with God in prayer. Gradually, we may find our useless time will transform us and everything around us will be different. What is he saying? He's saying that most of us, when we pray, we think, is this really helpful? Is this useful? And so if we don't get what we want, it feels like our prayer is nothing but a waste of time. But if we see prayer more as relational, it's never a waste of time. Because when you love someone, right, you're happy to waste time with that person. It's not about productivity or, or, or what, what, what you do for each other. It's about intimacy. The closest we can experience heaven is really through our prayer. And even our church, our church service, it's nothing but a long Prayer meeting, communing with God, being satisfied with Him, resting on His good works, praising Him, and enjoying His presence with the presence of His people. See? But if you come to church and it's such a, a drag, such a, a chore that we have to do, then we're not looking at it the right way. If you, find, if you find prayer such a chore, it's such a duty to you that you, have to, that you just have to do and get over done with, then you're approaching it the wrong way. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to enjoy him because he enjoys you. You were saved so that you can call him Father. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful privilege 
to be able to come to you without guilt, without sin, all because the blood and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, help us in our prayer life. Help us to understand that as we, every time we approach your holy throne, that there is nothing else that we need to bring but ourselves. But because when you see us, you see your only son. This we pray through his name. Amen.